you guys not allowed? Nah, I'm just kidding. What time is it? My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA by far. The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. How you feeling? Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. Facebook. Um, if you were joining us earlier, I was having some technical difficulties. This is why it's very important that you go to the Patreon <laughs> and hook it up right there. We last episode we did like 2,500 uh, listeners, like individual people that were listening. So if each and every one of those 2,500 people that listen to our begging, our pleadings to <laughs> increase the patronage that's going down on our patreon page that's patreon.com slash art and jacob do america uh, just donate one dollar you'll help me buy a new laptop here this laptop is slowly dying it's who it's like betty white right now like it's been it's been rough and tough for the last 100 years my laptop but we we really need your support in upgrading this machinery because it's about to die like and you know i don't wish any ill will upon betty white at all I love the bitch. You know, I He's love. He's gonna it. die this year now, man. Probably. I, I. You know what? If I have a death pool out there right now, I pretty much would say that Betty White. She. I don't think she's living till December thirty first, two thousand twenty. Two thousand twenty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It would be a weird way for it to end, I guess. Um, That's a dark way to open up yeah. this episode, but like, it's the only analogy I can come up with right now with the stress and anxiety that I am currently feeling right now. But. Welcome to episode 157 of the RJ Do America podcast. I am your host in this lovely new setup that we have here. And no longer are we doing a Zoom conference call because right across from me is your other co-host for the day, live in person, Mr. Art Trail. Art, what's up, guys? Spitting everybody's face and give them the runner right now. <laughs> it's beautiful to have you back, man. Yeah, man, it's good to be back. It feels, it feels cool and it feels weird it feels you know um 
Um, oh man, what the hell is this guy saying? He's just full of so much emotion that he can't get it all out. Yeah, it, it it's it's so nice to just be back, man. It's nice to be back in person it's nice to get that rhythm back mm-hmm. when the zoom was great it was fun but there's such a like disconnect from mm-hmm. from just not being in the same room there's moments and i'm sure you've done other zoom i'm sure people listening to this have done zoom conferences where they're like they don't know whose time it is to talk and who's like what the fuck's going on so there's a definite delay like even like last week i feel like we had a really strong episode and listening back to it, like when I was doing like the household chores and whatnot, I was just like cringing. Maybe it wasn't as bad because it, you know, for other people because, but it's my own product. So I judge it more harshly, but it just sounded weird. Like Art was saying, like that disconnect. And I'm so glad to have my co-host here in person. So uh, moving forward, hopefully there's no more pandemics that are going to cause us to, you know, to, you know, be in those situations anymore. So that's why it's very important. Everybody just wash your hands. Do the right thing, you know, even if you think that the whole coronavirus was a fucking conspiracy. Just just be cleaner people so we don't have bullshit like this happen, you know? Yeah, I mean, it seems, even though they're letting down the restrictions, I still think if you're going to go to the grocery store, if you're going to mm-hmm. go to a restaurant, I don't know how restaurants are, I haven't been to a restaurant forever. Dude, Sizzler is doing dine-in right now, dude. Really? That's yeah. disgusting. Um, <laughs> but, I know, I just went to, right next door to Sizzler, I went to uh, Smart and Final this morning and... Please wear a mask. They're requiring people to wear a mask, but I know a lot of other places like Target doesn't require people to wear a mask. Oh. And it's like, come on, man. You should at least do your part and wear a mask. Even if you don't believe in it, man. Like, Just do it. Just do it. There's nothing in the Constitution that <laughs> says that you're that free. I, I don't know. Like, I don't get that argument. Like, they're taking away our rights. But that's another podcast for another time. But before we get into the actual topic, which I am super excited for if you haven't noticed by my shirt that i'm wearing uh, art do you want to jump into our sponsor yes guys go to kbancoffee.com type in america at checkout but before you do check out their entire inventory of coffee coffee beans t-shirts sweaters underwear probably i don't even know i haven't been on the website in a minute now but i am <laughs> gonna go on because i'm running low on my cocoa bean i mean my cocoa butter and i really really like it just because it gives me a little bit of a sweet vibe when i put it into my coffee and i'm starting to become pretty addicted to that sweet vibe so if you want to know what i'm talking about go to cavemancoffee.com type in cocoa butter or cacao butter or however it's pronounced somewhere like that i don't know i want to say it's called cocoa butter it's cocoa it's cocoa here in bakersfield um yeah i'm not side. i'm not brazilian it's cocoa butter to me <laughs> um so type it in find out what i'm talking about especially if you're trying to like wing yourself off of all those like sweets uh, and you have to put coffee creamer in your coffee anymore. Mm-hmm. Try that cocoa butter. It's delicious. Get yourself some new T-shirts and shorts because summer's coming up. So get your ass on, Caveman Coffee. Type in America. Tell Martin Jacob sent you. Use some hashtags when you post yourself drinking your coffee in the morning. And we'll send you some free shit. I got a bunch of stuff in this uh, newly renovated studio. Um, I spent the the quarantine, you know, locked up doing work, teleworking for my own job. And I found a bunch of shit that I've been, like, sending out to people that are on our Patreon page. So, um, you know, just, you know, tag yourself. You know, hey, I went to Caveman Coffee. I bought a bunch of products. I used promo code America to save my ass 15% off. Tag yourself in that. Hashtag whatever. You know, make sure that we see it, and then I will personally send you something. So, uh, shout out to everybody that has been doing that. Yes, definitely. Shout out to everybody that stuck with us during the quarantine. Like, it, re- it really means a lot. Just because um, I saw 
like Alejandro reposting every five seconds. So yeah. that, that's really cool just because it was a difficult time. Oh, yeah. A difficult, a difficult task. But yeah. <laughs> with that said, um, Art, let's jump into the topic. This topic I was I've been really excited for the last five weeks. Um, during the quarantine, you know, there was two really big documentaries that came out. You know, one was, you know, the Tiger King, which. I'm kind of annoyed by now. I'm glad we got that episode out of the way. Now it's just like every time I see anything to do with Carol Baskin or Joe Exotic or whatever, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm over it. You I'm know? glad we did it when we did it because mm-hmm. if we would have done it like one week after the documentary would have been out, I would have hated myself. It's a, The internet is like one of those things where it's here today, gone in two hours. You know, it's hot. You know, it's hot for literally that amount of period of time. And that's how I feel like with the Tiger King. But ESPN, they blessed us with a great documentary. I mean, when the, if this ever comes out in the physical form as opposed to the digital form, I'm buying it. I'm buying it on 4K and whatnot. And um, it's Art supposed and- to be on Netflix already. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it's going to be hitting Netflix maybe this Sunday. Oh, today is Sunday. Probably mm-hmm. today. It'll probably yeah. be out today. Because I know it was ESPN and Netflix. You know, they released it in conjunction here in the states. Um, it was only on ESPN, but overseas, like it was on um, Netflix. But what we're talking about here for our non-sports fans who haven't been keeping up with this is it's it's The Last Dance. Um, it's a documentary about the the last year of the 97-98 Chicago Bulls team. And we're not going to go over the whole documentary. In 1985, uh, Michael Jordan was you know drafted third in the league to the Chicago Bulls. We're not going to go into depth about it, but it got the ball rolling for us. Um, both of us are humongous sports fans, you know, and this era of basketball, at least for me, and I know you know Art as well, you know, was very influential to our lives. You know, I being you know an only child to a single mom. You know, I spent, you know, most of my summer vacations and most of my time after school just watching, you know, 90s basketball. And this documentary, I mean, yeah, it focused focused on the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan for the majority of, you know, the series. But it also touched upon some really poignant moments throughout, you know, the late 80s, early into mid 90s, you know, that I really think brought up some great memories for both Art and myself. Yeah, no, it definitely did. It, you know, so 90s era of basketball, obviously, um, I was born in 1986. So um, that's right around the, t- the time period when I was eight, between, I would say right around eight years old was when I really started getting into sports. Mm-hmm. Right around Michael Jordan winning a bunch of championships, probably closer to when I was 10. That's, you know, that's the 96 Bulls. Um, I remember that Michael Jordan was the first jersey I ever owned mm-hmm. at this time period. Prior to that, prior to I would say prior to the '95 year, my family, my family and I were moving around a lot. So, um, um, I I wasn't that involved with sports. I didn't really care much for sports until mm-hmm. we really like came and settled in Bakersfield. Like Bakersfield, I would say right around like '94, '95, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I think Jordan was the like sports icon like there was nobody close Mm -hmm. and so just falling in love with that that like godlike figure you know Mm -hmm. um and just being like wow this guy is the fucking greatest like Mm -hmm. i don't even care what team you root for and for for me and for my money and i became like a diehard chicago sports fan after that but um I, for some reason, I felt like Chicago was like the center of the sports world just because he was in Chicago and like it seemed like Family Matters was in Chicago. Like everything was <laughs> happening in Chicago. It just felt like yeah. 
it just felt like that was like the big city. And even though like prior to that, I had lived with my family in LA for for a minute, and like it didn't feel like it didn't look as cool as like that. That looked like some like otherworldly type of city. So I was just like, man, it's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. But anyways, fast forward to the day we're talking about that era of basketball. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I know I've put that narrative out that you know I hated Jordan after the 1991 um, NBA Finals because I'm a huge LA Lakers fan. I've always have, always been, will be. Um, I remember sitting on my dad's lap and watching the 88 um, Lakers win, and just you know, and then later on, you know, the 88 Dodgers win. So I was for me, it was the opposite. I was a big LA fan. And I remember during that time frame that, yeah, that's when Jordan was coming into his own. Jordan was, you know, like I said earlier, he was drafted in the league in 85, the year I was born. So I kind of felt a kinship to Jordan. But there was like literally like a month where I really hated Jordan because he beat the L.A. Lakers in in the finals. And that's where he kind of transcended from being like, oh, hey, here's this really good player that scores an ungodly amount of points to like, oh, he can actually win. And he actually took out who, for a lot of people, um, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird during that time period, you know, he had to go through Larry Bird and the Celtics um, to, you know, get to the NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference. And he took out both Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, who were considered the, the greatest of all time at that time period. But it was that where that first championship in '91 where he really became like, oh shit, here's the passing of the torch right here. And I remember I hated him for a little bit, and I was six years old, guys, and I always would say that, oh okay. Later on, it came out that Magic Johnson, you know, got AIDS. I believe it was like six months, seven months later, and in my little six-year-old brain, I was thinking like, oh shit. Michael Jordan gave Magic Johnson AIDS. <laughs> and I always kind of like rolled with that narrative that like I hated Jordan because of that. But I, I got over it real very quickly because I remember watching the 92 Bulls beat the Portland Trailblazers. I remember seeing, you know, probably my favorite final series was, you know, him versus Barkley in 93, like when the Chicago Bulls beat the Phoenix Suns. And I remember being fucking heartbroken when he had to, when he not had to retire, but when he retired the first time, Th- that's the first time I really paid attention to sports. Was was that time period? Was the Bulls and the Suns? That was, for me, like I was not really. I, I knew of sports, but I didn't really pay attention to them. So I remember that NBA Finals like very well, and mm-hmm. like I remember thinking like, man, this is bad. These are the two. Just being thinking like, these are the two best teams for the long time. I thought really highly of the Phoenix Suns. Until I started learning more about the Phoenix Suns and going, like, they're kind of shitty. Like, <laughs> they're kind of a shitty sports franchise. But like, yeah, um, yeah I, I, that was really, you know, it all kind of started coming together for me. Um, and the documentary dives into that, and mm-hmm. it dives into the retirement as well. And um, did you want to get into to the retire? Because I, th- for me, uh, the documentary itself was like really strange because I, I didn't watch it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I saw that ESPN was hyping it up and posting all these tweets at other NBA players. And I think you had asked me, are you watching it? And I I was like, nah, I haven't really gotten time for it yet. And then when I watched it, I wasn't disappointed in the first two episodes. I, I wouldn't say disappointed at all. But it just, I didn't get, like, it just felt like, yeah, I, I just assumed everybody knew this kind of thing. You know, it just felt like, you know, for for the younger generation, people that are younger than us, 10 years younger than us, you know, in their, like, early early 20s mid 20s or whatever like um they're probably like oh shit this guy are you telling me this guy was that good you know kind of kind of think that it was this was refreshing that those first couple episodes at least the first 
three episodes were very refreshing for that generation. Because mm-hmm. I think for us, we kind of knew the greatness of Michael Jordan already. We we knew it, and the, and the fact that he had retired right in the middle of of the point he was entering his prime, his prime, like he was entering his prime. He wasn't in his prime. Correct. He was about to enter his prime, and he had already won three championships just as he was about to enter his prime. That's three championships after doing college, after coming to a shitty NBA team. Because the Chicago Bulls... It was a joke. It was a joke. It, just like I said about the Phoenix Suns, that's the Chicago Bulls in, in the East. And the Chicago Bulls not only like have have done nothing since Michael Jordan, will probably continue to do nothing just because they run their organ the, the organization so shitty. Chicago teams have like this weird thing about... like feeling like they're part of the big boys club, but they're not really part of the big boys club. The Chicago Cubs, the Chicago Bears, they've won very little in their entire sports franchise. And I love the Bears. I love the Cubs. I love, I even love the Bulls. Like, but I just think that they think very highly of themselves, Mm -hmm. but they win very little. And it's, I think once they get over that, like get over yourself kind of thing, I think they might start actually winning. Yeah. <laughs> but I think switching ownerships is a is a thing that those Big teams thing, yeah. need to do. But going back to this, the fact that he retired in his prime, and I know the documentary does a little bit of storytelling when they tell the story of his da- of his dad um, being killed while mm-hmm. pulling over to the side of the road. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, that's because this it. it the documentary goes into a whole bunch of different side stories. And I think that's the brilliance of, you know, the last dance is, you know, it gets into, you know, the Pippins, uh, the Rodman, yeah, yeah. it gets into the, even the whole retirements to where, I mean, there's several different narratives that um, are on display here with the retirement. I was talking to one of my coworkers and he's a big basketball fan. He's like 20 years older than me. And he was talking about how, Oh no, he didn't retire because his dad passed away. That was just, you know, kind of a, a good facade for him. But he believes in the conspiracy, if you will, that, you know, the league secretly suspended him due to his gambling habit. And it was about this time in 93 where Jordan was coming under fire for his gambling habits that, you know, there was a, a game, I believe it was in 93 um, in the finals where him and his dad, they went off to Atlantic City and they, you know, gambled up until like two o'clock in the morning. And for Jordan, he thought, you know, there was no big deal. You know, players would, you know, take time off in between games, you know, just to relax. Because at this time, Jordan, he's in the same boat as Michael Jackson, where the media is always on him. I think there was an article at the time in 93 where it's just like, who are the most popular people in the world? And it was Michael Jackson, Princess Diana and Michael Jordan. We all know what happened to Princess Diana. We all know all the weirdness that surrounds Michael Jackson with the paparazzi and whatever. And we're talking about a world before social media. So it was more focused on these three individuals. And he just needed a break. He was mentally exhausted. He was physically exhausted because you said that since 1980, you know, he's going, you know, deep into the playoffs with college basketball. He's going deep in the playoffs, you know, with the NBA. And that's tiring for anybody. You forget being a super athlete, if you will. So he's physically tired. He's mentally tired. He is just drained. He just needs an escape. And that's what Phil Jackson was great at. Um, he said that, you know, Phil recognized that the players needed, you know, just a total, you know, escape from everything, you know, non-basketball related. That's why Dennis Rodman went on his 48-hour, you know, vacation, you know, in the middle of yeah. NBA. Wait, are you talking about 
the Atlantic City trip, or are you talking about his retirement? Oh, it leads all into it. So he went and did that with his father, and the documentary gets into that, like, oh, Jordan owed a big debt to this, like, I guess, big-time um, criminal or uh, guy remember he was like a gambler guy that mm-hmm. you know was into criminal activity and whatnot and jordan had to go on the stand and say that hey this wasn't a loan but money i actually owed you know this let's just call him like a mob boss if you will you know for a gambling debt if you will um, so he was coming under fire in the media because of that so he was already like done with the media and then his dad became his spokesperson his pr person if you will so he lost that that filter where you know his father would deal with the media and then you know jordan would just focus on basketball so his father gets murdered you know after he wins his third championship in 93 correct yeah like literally like i want to say like three to four weeks later and that's a weird rabbit hole in itself if you look at the death of michael jordan's father there's all sorts of weird rabbit holes we can get into but so, just the basic fact that you're losing your father, like the one person you could trust in this crazy ass world where you're probably the you're the top th- in the, within the top three most famous people in the world. You're getting hounded by the media. You're you're getting scrutinized for a quote unquote gambling habit. Uh, people are coming up with conspiracies that, oh, the league's going to, you know, suspend Jordan for a year or whatnot, you know, because of, you know, this gambling controversy. It's a big mind fuck for anybody. I don't care who you are, whether you're Michael Jordan or you're you're Michael Smith down the street. You know that's enough for anybody to you know just mentally check out from whatever you're doing for a year. Although I agree with that, I just I do find it strange that he would retire from from the NBA coming into his coming into his prime. He's not really in his prime just yet, but you know he's about to enter his prime and he decides to walk away from it Mm -hmm. and um i I do well i agree that i think everybody needs time to decompress and everybody needs time to get away i 100 percent agree that people need to take care of themselves i don't care who you are we've seen that with sports athletes today we still see sports athletes doing that and like and, and worrying about their mental health which is really important but i don't think that that seemed normal even by today's standards i don't I think that there was either something else there, like with him just mentally, and mm-hmm. like that's more than just like being trained because he goes into another sport. There's just, just as many cameras and, me- and media there. Correct. It's not like he's baseball. like, hey, I want to go to New Zealand for the next two years and stay away from you guys. No, he goes into another sport. That's a part that doesn't make sense to me. And I I think when people bring up conspiracy, like, you know, the that whole thing is there was something strange about, about the whole thing of, of his dad dying he's not the first nba player to lose his dad mm-hmm. we talked you know, the, the documentary does a good job exploring uh steve, steve kerr's Kerr. life and i was even thinking like isaiah thomas lost his sister hours before a playoff game mm-hmm. and like this stuff happens like it's extremely sad but i thought it was very strange that that he retires and joins a completely different sport and doesn't get away from the circus. You know, he stays mm-hmm. in the circus. He's still, he's still, he could have been a Chicago White Sox. You know, probably if there wasn't an eventual lockout. In, in Correct. The, yeah. Um. But but he was in in on that road to becoming a Chicago White Sox. He was even going to stay in the same city. It wasn't like the media in Chicago is forgiving at all. It's one of the roughest, most like annoying medias mm-hmm. in all of sports. And he was not getting away from that, which I find really strange. And I'm not going to say conspiracy because obviously I don't know anything more than anybody else does. Just to explain that, a lot of people think that he didn't really retire. He was like secretly suspended, you know, by David Stern. 
uh, you know, for the whole gambling controversy because he did have to go like on the witness stand and testify against. I want to call him a mob boss, but I don't know what he was. You know, they they kind of just brush over that. But you know, he he was affiliated, I guess, with some bad people within the gambling community. But it's just like as the documentary shows, like he he was a very competitive person. Like he was always, you know, you know, uh, doing side bets with people, like on the golf course. Um, there was there was a story with like John Paxson where like he would you know, come up to the front of the bus or the plane and, you know, people would be playing for quarters up in the front, you know, all the bench players. And just because he wanted to dominate everything, he would go play the quarter, you know, card game with, you know, John Paxson and, you know, Bill Cartwright, if you will, mm-hmm. just to, just to, just to, you know, beat them, you know, just to how competitive he was. And I don't believe that the league, you know, secretly banned their most profitable player, because when you look at the league after Jordan, you know, retired, they they lost a lot of money. A lot of people lost interest in basketball after that because the one thing about Jordan's influence is, is like he made the NBA from pretty much the third banana when you when you look at the three major sports in America. You know, it was baseball, football, and basketball. They were very much eye to eye with hockey probably at that time. You know, if it wasn't for Magic Johnson and you know Larry Bird. You know, they probably would be below hockey at that time. But Magic John or Michael Jordan created basketball into this worldwide phenomenon where all eyes around the globe were on the product. So to me, I don't believe that, you know, David Stern secretly banned, you know, Michael Jordan for his gambling habit. It doesn't make sense because you would make more money <laughs> having him play than not play. So the one thing I will say about that is, and I did find this strange that they left this in the documentary. Um, perhaps you wouldn't. I think if if a player was gambling on the sport that he plays in, mm-hmm. I think that that shows that there's like willingness to lose games on mm-hmm. purpose. But and, but Jordan, I mean, well let, let me let me get yeah, to I'm my sorry, point. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So and of course Jordan would probably bet on himself winning most games. Correct. But I think that there is a part in the documentary that I I was like what the fuck like it was like i literally as, as soon as it happens i was like what the fuck did he just say like what am i the only person who just caught this but when he's playing the uh seattle supersonics and he's talking about uh who is it the glove he's like um gary payton gary payton he's like he's like he's like laughing right he's like the glove he's like because they win one and then he's like he kind of makes like this joke about like i, I kind of let you have that game just because the next game would have been played on Father's Day and I wanted to win on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like, at the time, I was like, man, that's badass. You wanted to win this for his dad. But at the same time, it's like, wait, you're telling me you like lost one on purpose to like win win on Father's Day? And that was the part to me that was kind of like, what? what? Whoa, whoa. Like, I get it. I get what you're saying. But at the same time, it was like, it seems like he was just that dominant that he was willing to like, Win at will, yeah, win at will, and like win win the games on the days that he wanted to win. Um, So I do think that let's just say hypothetically the NBA finds out like, hey Jordan, you've been betting on Bulls games, Mm -hmm. like which is extremely you know. Eventually we start going down the Tim Donahue era of basketball and like the whole like we can't yeah officiating and NBA's kind of had had years of being tarnished in in the early two thousands late nineties of of just bad dealings going on there. Um, but, you know, I think that that would have been a huge black eye if they would have suspended their biggest star for betting on basketball games instead of like, hey, just walk away and, like, mm-hmm. let's just stay, like, take two years off because this... So, let although, it blow over kind yeah, of Yeah, let it blow over. Let's just pretend it didn't, ha- didn't, didn't happen. 
But for Jordan to bet on basketball games, what else would you bet on yourself? If you think you're the greatest basketball player, and I know he thinks he's the greatest basketball player. Oh, yeah. Of course you're going to want to bet on yourself. Yeah. I have no problem. And even at, let's just live in that world where Jordan did bet on himself because we don't know 100% sure if that happened or not. If he did bet on bet on himself to win, I honestly don't have a problem with that because it creates more incentive for him to win. Like that's that, that competitiveness is just like, oh, shit, if I don't win this game, if I don't pour on 55 points, which is crazy considering Jordan never really shot three-pointers. If you look at like the the ratio of you know two point shots compared to three point shots, yeah. it's very low. Like the, like like the margin is like that thin of like how many three point shots he makes compared to the two point shots he makes, and he's scoring like 55, 66 points against you know the dominant Boston Celtics team and whatnot. I don't really have a problem with it because it's creating a a bigger passion and fire to win. So that aspect of it. But if he w- was taking dives. That I do have a problem with, but when you look at the career of Michael Jordan, like for the most part, like he wanted to win, even when he had a broken foot, you know, he yeah. wanted to risk it, never playing again just to win a game. You know, funny story about the broken foot thing. Um, so this is like, a lot of people don't know this, but um, George Gerben was on that team when he had a broken foot. Okay. And um, prior to that season, because he breaks it pretty early in the season or something like that, or like seven games in or something. Yeah, I guess prior to that. Uh, George Gerben, this is like just a few years ago. George Gerben was talking about how uh, Michael Jordan really didn't respect him a lot. I don't didn't respect George Gerben a lot. He he would just be like asking him like, "Show me how to do this move, old man." Like he wouldn't call him by his name ever, <laughs> which I thought was really funny that he would just call him old man every time. And like, which he was, he was way past his prime at that point. And like, but he would just have him like show him how to do different moves, and then like be like, "Okay, I'm done with you now, old man. I've learned all your moves. Go yeah. away." Which I thought was like rude but at the same because that's george garvin it's not like he's like some scrub but at the same time it's like this guy grows up to be michael jordan the greatest basketball player Mm -hmm. of all time so it's kind of cool but it's it's like kind of comes across as a jerk but um anyways yeah i agree like he he was like the ultimate competitor um but i do think that even when you bet on yourself it's it's kind of like of course every every basketball player i think you unless you are on a shitty team and like you're on like the that historically bad Charlotte Bobcats team or whatever, you're not going to want to bet on yourself. But I think most basketball players, like, you know, you don't go on the floor believing you're going to lose this game. Mm-hmm. You know, at least you shouldn't. You, you know? have to have that confidence. Yeah, I think you have to have that confidence, of course. But I do think that it, it sets a bad bad principles in any sport when you're having athletes bet on, on anything. Because yeah. at that point, you can... Bets, bets are more than just winning and losing. They're like, how many points did you score? How many points? Like, yep. like you know, you can shave points off. You can do all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's a bad look for any sports franchise to let your athletes bet on themselves. Yeah. So I just think on that end, I, I would, I could see how the NBA would be like, this is kind of shitty. Let's not advertise this. Let's just soup it under the rug and like forget that it ever happened. But going back to your point about him retiring at his prime, uh, one thought that popped in my mind at that time is like. I don't even think Jordan at that time thought he was entering into his prime. He, he, I think he thought he had already accomplished everything that he could accomplish. He had already, you know, been in his prime, you know, in his own mind. Because I think at one point he averaged something crazy one season, like 37 points, something you never see. You might get like one season from one player 
where they average, you know, 35 points or something like that. But like Jordan for a long time was like averaging something crazy, like Wilt Chamberlain numbers, you know, like when he was playing against like little five foot two white dudes, he was playing in the greatest era of basketball, you know, the late eighties, you know, to mid nineties. That's like where you have like every team has at least like two or three hall of famers on it. You know, whether you're the sorry ass Knicks, you have Patrick Ewing there, you know, every team has somebody there that's going to, you know, that's designed to stop you. And, whole teams like the you know Detroit Pistons if you will and he's averaging you know 40 points a game 50 points a game if you will and I just lost my point <laughs> but oh no no entering his point so in my mind I think that he thought that he had already accomplished everything he you know didn't even know that there was still more he could do like I think he's he saw the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and he was just like you know what what else can I do I lost my best friend, which was my father. And that's one thing I wanted to get into with like the loss of his father is just like they asked him in that documentary. They said, you know, what gives you that drive? Because no, I don't think anybody is ever born with, you know, that natural drive. Like you just right out of the womb. Some to me, like there's always got to be some kind of trauma or some kind of um, missing element in your life that you're constantly chasing to have. You have that kind of drive, you know, Um, Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson, if you will, he's always looking, he was always looking for the approval of Joseph, his father. And the same thing, Jordan did that as well. He was like, you know what? My father put so much pressure on me and my you know, brothers and his favorite son, I believe was, um, James, James Jr. Um, Michael Jordan's older brother. He thought James was going to be, you know, the standout, you know, bat baseball player in the family. And so Jordan or Michael was always you know, chasing James at that point. So he was always trying to get his father's attention. Like, there was a good story where, um, you know, it was his brothers and his dad working on a car and Jordan messed up something. Michael messed up something. They're all Jordan. Uh, Michael messed up something and you know, his father sent him out in the house to go, you know, be with his mom. And he thought that that was so disgraceful. And it's just from that point forward, he was just like, you know what? My drive was to always impress my father. And with the loss of his father at that time, where he was the most crucial person in his life, you know, having to deal with the media, dealing with all the scrutiny he was going through at that time, kind of, you can kind of see where he's just like, you know what, I'm going to give up this basketball portion of my life and move on to baseball because baseball was the real passion that the Jordan family had, um, previous to him, you know, mm -hmm. becoming this great basketball player. Yeah. I mean, but see, like, I get that. I, I get that. You know, I, I think talent is one thing. Physical ability is another thing, and then what drives you is a completely different thing. And there's mm -hmm. all three of them are separate categories because you can have somebody super physically gifted, all the talent in the world. Like I'm trying to think, like, and I'm sure we'll get into LeBron James later. But you look at LeBron James. I don't know if there's anybody more physically gifted. Probably like Giannis. We'll say Giannis for now. Yeah. Like Giannis is probably the most physically gifted NBA player on on the planet right now, just because of his height, athletic athletic ability is like this guy is a center playing point guard it's ridiculous how yeah. fast he is and strong he is yeah it's hard to make an argument that he is the best player in the world although i think he's close i think he's one of the better players what the element we haven't seen is his drive yet mm -hmm. and we just we just haven't seen that yet we take players that are probably not nearly as gifted like we'll I would say even like a, like we'll we'll talk about like Kobe or something just a few years back, you know. Kobe's 6'6", which is an average shooting guard. That's probably the perfect shooting guard size. He was never like abnormally gifted. He's athletic, but pretty much I would say 90% of the league is pretty athletic in the NBA. These Nowadays. are some of the best athletes in the world. And 
But that drive was the thing that separated him. You know, he didn't have Giannis's physical abilities. He didn't have LeBron's physical abilities. He no. didn't have these things. This is, we, we did that Kobe episode, right? And we talked about Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan's like iron sharp, it's iron. The fact that those two guys, I felt like the thing that drove them each other a lot of times was the fact that they were in each other's eras and they were both trying to outduel each other. And Tim Duncan played the last like eight years of his careers on, on, on one leg, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like he could barely walk like normally without his knee brace you know like it, physical ability is one thing that's great and all that's that'll that'll durability. get you that'll get you halfway there but the other halfway is the mental part of it mm-hmm. like what is driving you what's gonna why do you keep getting up like everybody's gonna fall you're gonna fall but why do you get back up every time and and that's you know i don't want to spoil like what i want to get into but um that's one of those things that's like jordan did this Jordan did his championships back to back to back space back to back to back on like teams that where he was the best player over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And there was never any question on like who was the leader of that team. And like, you know, he did it on bad bulls teams early on. He did it on good bulls teams with great teammates. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying he did it all himself because you can't win it all yourself. We've seen even Kobe Bryant. I just talked about Kobe Bryant being great. Kobe Bryant was on some shitty teams where he was like averaging like crazy numbers and he had that 81 point game and it was like, cool, you're gonna get bounced in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Yeah. It's like that's great and all, but but team matters in the NBA and he had some great teams with him. Um, I already forgot what I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> anyways, what? Oh no, I, I do remember what I was gonna say is he never jumped the ship. Like eventually he joins the Wizards at the end, which is a whatever move, but he never jumps the ship. He never goes chasing better teams, even though there was friction in, in, in the Bulls franchise. He doesn't do the LeBron James move where he's like, oh, now I'm going to the Heat because I couldn't do it here. Mm-hmm. you know. Like, And he could have. He could have done this. At, at that point, he had the most power than any other NBA player in, in history. Mm-hmm. And he could have easily done that. He just never does that. And I really respect that element of his game that he never leaves and just kind of keeps going. And I think that, that that goes into like those like famous Jordan quotes where he's just like, I'm not afraid to fail. Everybody fails. He goes, what I am afraid of is not trying. And I think that is, you know, what separates him and like players like LeBron who, you know, oh, I'm not even going to try to make it work here in Cleveland, you know, by, you know, going the extra mile. I'm just going to go, hey, I'm going to go join a super team, if you will. He never did that. He was always, you know, encouraging you know lesser players on his team you know it gets into great detail you know like the you know the 12th men on his team like he would hound them he would almost bully them you know there was a at one point you know he punched steve uh, kerr in the mouth you know it was all because he missed a shot and you know morally is that great behavior no but he you said it earlier iron sharpens iron if he was this like cuddly guy that was just everybody's best friend you know, every nobody's going to take these games seriously. And if you know that, hey, I got the best player in the world on my team and he expects greatness from me, and if I don't get that greatness, he's going to pop me in the fucking mouth, like, you're going to be in line. It's kind of like the military, you know what I'm saying? You're sending... You, sports is basically simulated war, you know? And that's why I think, like, especially men, like, we really fall in love with the aspect of sport is because you know it's primitive in our nature you know we're tribe we're tribal by nature where it's just like hey here's our team this is our these are our warriors and we're going to support them or we're either going to support them or we're going to become them because that's just our nature 
And when you're going to war, you don't want soft people on your team. And I mean, I think that's probably a big reason why I'm not the biggest LeBron James fan, because I do think he is rather soft for somebody who's amazingly talented. And when you look at Jordan, you said it perfectly. Yeah, he was fast. Yeah, he could shoot the ball well. He could score the ball well. But you talk about those early Bulls teams where they went from being the joke of the NBA to like, oh, shit, we're competing with the best teams in the NBA, like the Detroit, the the Pistons, the bad boys, where he's like, okay, here's a team that's going to beat everybody up. You know, they're mentally going to wear you down and they're physically going to wear you down. You know, you had, you know, players like Bill Lambeer that would basically assault like a Kurt Rambis, if you will, like take them out. Um, fucking um, Rick Mahorn, Dennis Rodman, you know, pre, you know, <laughs> letting his freak flag fly, but he was still yeah. like a crazy player. Isaiah Thomas, probably the dirtiest player in the league at that time you know they would just do whatever it took to win you know they were just a hard team to overcome and they created a whole set of rules called the jordan rules where you know don't let jordan leave you know his feet you know just knock him to the ground you know take the foul you know just beat him up and he took that as a challenge instead of saying like oh i'm gonna like go out to the west coast you know where they don't play like that um he said you know what i'm gonna go into the gym i'm gonna beef up you know, to where, hey, I'm, they're not going to, you know, push me around. I'm going to be the one doing the pushing. And then I'm going to instill that work ethic into my teammates. You know, Scottie Pippen, you know, was soft as hell when he first came in. He instilled that into Scotty, Like, hey, if they're going to push you down, you get right back up and you score right in their face. And to me, that's to me, like, forget about his physical abilities for a minute. Like, that's to me is a perfect leader. Like somebody who's willing, you know, to do whatever it takes and get the job done, but he won't ask anything of you that he's not willing to do himself. So, although I agree with you, this is the this is the part of the documentary where uh, I I guess I just didn't like a lot of the things that Jordan was bringing up. You brought up the Jordan rules. There's also a book called The Jordan Rules. Oh yeah, which he, you know, he calls Horace Grant the, the guy. He calls him out in the documentary, saying that he's the one that leaked all that information out. Early, you know, and then he's like, he calls him out for being a snitch and le- leaking all that information. Early in the documentary, Jordan does something very similar. He talks about when he gets to the Bulls, he's like, everybody was doing coke and, like, having women in their rooms. Like, he's basically snitching all these guys. Like, Jordan is not a guy that people liked. I was just been listening to a lot of Chicago radio. They have a lot of his former teammates. All of them are like, would you hang out with Jordan? No, I wouldn't have. Like, Mm -hmm. fuck that guy. The only reason I would go is to smoke his expensive cigars. (laughs) And, like, just because he's not a well-liked guy at all. And, like... Horace Grant brought up, you know, like, hey, if you want to, like, like say something, like, say it to me as a man. Like, don't go on a documentary and say that. Like, to, which I did I, I did lose some respect on that end where it's like, I get it. I love this guy. I really love Jordan. But at the same time, like, I get that. Like, if I'm Horace Grant, I would be pissed too. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that you didn't just say that to me, like, directly, I would have been like, come on, man. Like, just, just say it. You don't do some, like, passive-aggressive documentary to, like, talk, like, smack behind my back. Mm-hmm. And then... I, I guess I didn't like that element of it. I didn't think it was a perfect documentary in, in that sense of the word because I think it reveals a couple of like flaws in it. One of the other things I, you know, they keep Chicago radio, shout out to Cap and Company in the morning. <laughs> they have a, they keep having like different people on from that, from that era. And one of the guys said like, I thought it was fucked up that like our leader abandons us in the middle of our like best team. We're about to go into like our, after our three peat, he just dips on us. And, like, now he's gone. And, like, I did think that that was weird, and I can understand mm-hmm. being upset, especially if you're, like, Scottie Pippen. And, like, like, like Scottie Pippen was a great player. 
don't get me wrong, and I think the documentary does a decent job of telling you that that he is a really really good player, but he's no Michael Jordan. No. And like he wasn't, you weren't gonna be as successful without Michael Jordan. And the fact that he leaves them in in the middle of all that under these very strange circumstances, and like, yes, he just lost his dad, but he's not the first NBA player to do it, and he's not mm-hmm. the first person on earth that has to lose their parent and then go to work the next day. Like that's something that happens, and like. I do think it's strange. I do think that there's that he plays by different rules, and I think the documentary shows them, but they're they only highlight the good stuff about Jordan. I, I didn't now that I'm an adult and I'm looking at it. I didn't really experience that. I just you know I like the 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 Space Jam elements of <laughs> of Jordan's years because there was definitely two personalities to Jordan. There was the one that you know would you know be the McDonald's spokesman and whatnot, like the good clean cut you know, person. And then you, the documentary does show, you know, the behind the scenes, like him cussing out people and, yeah, and kind of being a dick, if you will. And, and I think w- one of the things that really bothered me is like, those are, if you really wanted to win championship seven and eight, those were your two years right there to do it. Do mm-hmm. do it in those two years. Cause really towards the end of it, especially since the Spurs win 99 and like it was a shortened season, a lot of people were saying like, "Oh, they should have just came back for one more year." I think that's how the documentary kind of ends, ends with them yeah. saying like, "They should have just brought the group back together." But really, it's like Dennis Rodman was way past his prime. Scottie Pippen's body was falling apart. Steve Kerr, you weren't going to be able to keep Steve Kerr, which you don't like. And then it, it he just, joins the Spurs. And then yeah, and he joins the Spurs. And then the other thing, as I I was thinking about that because a lot of like Chicago people were like, "We could have done this. We could have brought her back for one more year." And it was like, "Wait, you could have." If Michael Jordan, why couldn't Michael Jordan restructure his contract and like? I think a have, big part of it though was Phil Jackson and. Um, uh, yeah, I think, and then that's the other thing. I one other thing that I thought was bad about the documentary was that they did not emphasize how great Phil Jackson was. Mm-hmm. Like Phil Jackson, not only does this in Chicago, goes to L.A. and does it again. And in my opinion, he's like the greatest coach, if if not like top five greatest coaches, but probably the greatest coach um, of all, all time. Sports, yeah. It, I don't know about all sports, but yeah, yeah, he's up there. But um, I think it's I think it's harder to coach football than it is to coach basketball. But yes, he's up there in like all sports, definitely top five in all sports. Correct, probably top one in NBA. Yeah, but um, um, but anyways, I I you know forget about ninety nine because they were all older and you, you know there's something about you know nobody father times not. Father Time's undefeated. And Jerry Reinsdorf, <laughs> the owner of the Bulls, he had something that I kind of agreed with where he was like, it didn't make sense to keep bringing people back and, you know, underpay them for their value. You know, it, 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 as a business, because he's talking business right there. He goes, it just did not make sense. You know, they're at a certain point, you know, becomes a, you know, a point of diminishing returns, you know, and he's thinking in his mind. And Jerry Reinsdorf is notorious for being cheap, you know, ask, just ask the White Sox organization, which he also owns as well. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, I can kind of agree with that because it's just like, yeah, you said it, you know, Dennis Rodman, you know, he takes off to the Lakers for, you know, a drink, you know, that next season, you know, then he's gone, you know, within like 14 days. Uh, but he was just a shadow of his old self just because of that whole, you know, the last three Pete, you know, against, you know, uh, Seattle against the two times against Utah where he's battling against Carl Malone. And that takes a whole lot out of you on top of, you know, him, you know, going off to, you know, Las Vegas for a week, you know, during a playoff run, you know, with Carmen Electra, you know, that's going to wear anybody down. You're only human. You're not a machine. You know, you're not Sasha Vujicic, if you will. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like that's all going to take a toll on itself. And then you're talking about players, you know, each and every one of these players, they're well into their thirties, like Ron Harper, 
Like, he was a player in the 80s on the Cavs that was already older than Jordan, who was assigned to Jordan to stop him, you know, back in the 80s, you know, and that was your starting point guard. And he was 36 years old. Like, I'm 35 right now. I'm not going to be able to guard anybody in the NBA right now. Nonetheless, somebody that, you know, has to go through an 82-game, you know, stretch, you know, they weren't taking games off like they are now, you know, like your body is worn down. So I kind of do agree with Jerry Reinstorf where it's just like, yeah, it is time to kind of move on. It definitely was time. I I do think that the fact that Scottie Pippen was extremely underpaid, I did think that if if – Jordan kind of brings up his displeasure in that, like he was extremely underpaid, and it's like, then say something, man. Like if you're if you're the man, like and you clearly are, you uh-huh. could say like, hey, restructure my shit. I'm getting enough money off and, off of like McDonald's and Gatorade, anyways. So just like restructure my shit. I want to make sure that this guy's playing with me and and happy for the next couple of years. Yeah, and then do that. But the other thing, and I'm pretty sure what we're gonna talk about because Jordan is just bigger than basketball. Jordan. Jordan shorts, just shorts alone mm-hmm. is is like a whole different thing where he's like, this is the first dude to wear longer shorts. I would say more hip-hop oriented shorts, shorts mm-hmm. that actually you can wear in front of your friends and not get laughed at. And not only that, but his shoes. And his shoes are some of the most iconic shoes that are out there. Yeah, I'm not that crazy about them, but they are one of the most iconic shoes. I'm not that crazy about Nike, but I, I, I do respect Jordan's shoes. But, you know, he brings up that controversial line that, that we, you know, they... Republicans buy shoes too, mm-hmm. and and you know he, you don't have to be fucking Muhammad Ali, you know. Like I agree, he he brings that up. Like you know, I think he says that I, I'm not Muhammad Ali. Like don't I don't know why people expect that from me. And I agree. Like hey, he's his own man. He doesn't have to do that. And I totally yeah. respect that element of him. And I'm I'm conflicted with that too because I do see that with a lot of people. Like I I know for me and you, we are. I don't want to say we're very political, but like we're, we're more conscious than your average Joe, if you will. And I, you know, Barack Obama was on that, you know, documentary talking about that, like how he felt at that time, because, you know, for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, you know, you basically had a Senate race in Jordan's home state of North Carolina, where you had like this notoriously racist, like Republican, like this is not just us, you know, spouting like our, you know, liberal beliefs that oh he's white so therefore he is racist no this guy like legitimately was you know had some racist policies you know and he was the state senator and then you had this black democratic senator that was you know challenging for his position and then everybody was begging jordan like hey endorse this guy you know he needs you know your endorsement so that he can get over on this (laughs) historically racist senator that you know is in control of your home state and even Michael Jordan's mom was asking him, like, hey, like, just, you know, give his endorsement. And this is where I'm kind of split, where it's just like, yeah, I can see that. Like, hey, just lend your name, you know, to somebody that will get over on, you know, this somebody that's notoriously racist. But Jordan kind of just says, like, hey, like, I'm not just going to give my support to somebody that I honestly have no idea about. Like, he goes, I respect, you know, he said that line about I respect, you know, everything that Muhammad Ali did. But, you know, I'll make a donation towards his campaign. But, like... I am like super laser focused on basketball right now. I have no idea what this guy stands for or what he's about just because, you know, he might be black or whatever. And he says, I just want to focus on my craft. You know, I just want to be, and that's what separates Jordan from a lot of players. I think like 
Shaq, who's my all-time favorite player, he his mind was always in like 10 different directions, you know, making a rap album, making a really bad movie Shazam, you know, oh, by the way, I'm going to, you know, open up a burger restaurant. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to play a game against, you know, Sacramento Kings. Jordan was just super focused on, you know, one thing. And yes, he did have endorsements, but McDonald's and Nike and Gatorade, if you will. But like, he was just like, well, this is a whole different arena. I have nothing, I have no idea about. I'm just going to sit this out so that way, if I make a mistake and lend my name to this, like it doesn't tarnish me. And I think he gets a lot of flack too for the whole thing about the, hey, why didn't you support this, you know, this campaign? And he he says it, and I can kind of see this happening where, you know, they kind of twist his words a little bit. He goes, when I say, hey, the reason why I didn't support this guy was because, hey, Republicans wear sneakers too or buy sneakers too. Is because I was, it was in jest. I was sitting on a bus with, you know, Ron Harper and Horace Grant. You know, I was joking around and they took my quote and kind of twisted this meaning that I was serious about that. He goes, and so I can kind of see that too. So I'm kind of, I kind of have a foot in both ends of it, if you will. But overall, yeah, it is kind of disappointing because you hear you have like the, the person who has the greatest influence in all the world, like just support the dude that's going up against the racist. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's disappointing just because he had the opportunity to make a, an a important statement. And I I always think it's I think it's bold when, when athletes do things like that. Um, and I really applaud athletes that have strong stands. We talked about Colin Kaepernick very early on in the podcast, I believe. I don't even know if we did that episode or not. No. But uh, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I, I, I've always been a big supporter of Colin Kaepernick, even though I don't think Colin Kaepernick is like um, – like Eric Reed, Eric Reed's a safety. He was in Calarina Cal- Cal- last year, um, but um, um, and he's he he has a same thing. He was also a guy that was kneeling, and he's not on any NFL team, even though he should be. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to be in any NFL team because of his stance. And I think that that shit happens in sports, where if he comes out and he says, "Hey, I don't support this guy. This guy's a racist," it would very much likely happen that one he would probably lose his Nike deal. Two, he might lose a Gatorade deal. You don't know what what mm-hmm. what will happen. And who am I to like fucking? Even though like, I think he should. Um, who am I to say like, yo, be willing to lose this money, man? Like, hey, that's 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 your bread, man. Like, handle your business the way you need to handle it. Because I don't expect anyone to tell me how to spend my money, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna tell him how to spend his money and where you know his finances need to be. So on that end, I I I understand why he did it, and, and I I respect it and i go for it because i'm not going to tell anyone to Mm -hmm. to do what what they need to do with their money because they earned it it's his money he he can do whatever he wants with it and i like what barack obama said too it's just like here you have like this 20 year old guy okay i'm 35 you're 34 i still feel like i don't i'm not as responsible enough with that kind of power either but here you have this guy who's in his mid-20s with pretty much all the power in the world i said that hey he's him and michael jackson and princess diana are the three most popular people in the world at this time frame he's in his mid-20s and he's having to make all people happy at all times he's everything to all people and my grandma i remember from a very young age she would always tell me she says hey it's very important to have religion and to be conscious about like what's going on in the world but don't bring that into your place of work you know leave politics and religion out of the workplace and so that's why i kind of like like what you're saying as well where it's just like yeah i can kind of see where he's coming from where it's just like hey his job is to play basketball and you know 
provide entertainment, you know. And you see this a lot, like, every time there's, like, the Oscars or, you know, any kind of award ceremony where, you know, an actor will get up there. Like, Joaquin Phoenix, after he wins the Oscar for the Joker, you know, he's talking about, hey, how we should all be, you know, vegetarians and vegans and whatnot. And it's just like, yeah, but not, that's not everybody's viewpoint. But, you know, I get where you're coming from. But it does sour a lot of people who are against his platform. And they just want you to shut up and shut up and play basketball, if you will, to borrow a line from Fox News, if you will. So he knew he was smart enough to know, like, OK, if I go in this direction, it's going to piss off a lot of people. And he goes, and that's just not my lane. I'm not in the business of pissing off people. I'm just in the business of my job, which is just playing basketball and trying to to win this championship, which I can't get too mad at. Yeah, I mean, whatever decision he decides to take, it's like it's outside of basketball. It's outside of, of who you are. No one, you know, it's easy to point a microscope at someone else and it's difficult to point it at ourselves and like Correct. we don't have we don't have that type of responsibility we don't have that much money in stakes Correct. if you know if someone said like hey you might lose three million dollars if you say this one thing are you willing to do it it's his money it's his it's his in his conscience he's the one who has to sleep in his own mind at night and you know when you're quiet and your mind is alone at night that's when the fucking demons come out and like nobody knows what he struggles with mm-hmm. you know when the cameras are off um and so, to his credit though like behind the scenes a lot like prince he he contributed a lot to charity he did a lot for charity behind the scenes and that's one thing i do respect you know for you know african americans for you know you know african american you know education if you will he did a lot you know without the publicity you know he did a lot behind the scenes so i commend him for that like a lot of stuff's coming out with prince like he would put on concerts you know to support you know, this is this area, all proceeds would go to that. Jordan did the same thing, you know? And so to me, like, that's the balancing factor right there. Like you don't always have to do things in the limelight to get credit for it. It's like the, it's like when somebody goes like on social media and records himself on Facebook live, like here I am giving $20 to a homeless person. Like that's so cheap and cheesy. Like I, I agree. I do, you know, like I get it, but it, I think it's a little bit different just because who it's coming from, you know, is going to influence people. The mm-hmm. fact that you are a true influencer and not a bragger, like it's easy. You know, if it was like Tony Kukoc and Tony Kukoc is <laughs> comes out and says it, it'd be like, Oh, that's weird. Yeah. But if it's Michael Jordan, the fact that he's the biggest sports athlete in the world, um, it means a lot. Like, yeah. you know, he had the platform to do it. He didn't do it. And it's although pro- probably that's not what I would have done and probably wish he would have taken the other one. I'm not, who am I to tell him to, what to do with his money? Yeah. He's not a perfect person. He is a human. Like the thing about it is when, one of the, one of the things that came out during this whole documentary was his relationship with Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley came out and said, I don't talk to Michael Jordan anymore. I haven't talked to Michael Jordan in like 20 years. Cause I, once I told once, uh, Adam Morrison, he was like, who, did do you know that story about like how he brought up Adam Morrison? He's like, who said Adam Morrison first? Did you say it or did your scouts say it first? Because if you said it first and all your scouts agreed with you, they're all just yes men. It's like, and he believes that he just hangs out with a bunch of yes men now uh-huh. that are just like, yes, Mister Jordan, yes, yes. And like, I think that's that's the difficult part. I think he now, you know, once you start getting too far into yourself and believing the hype too much on who you are, it's important to have people in your life that humble you down and. Mm-hmm bring you down because you end up with a bunch of call me Browns and, and, um, and Adam Morrison's in your yeah. life that, you know, and the, your yes men agree with you saying that that's the best guy for the job. Yeah. 
and like it's a detriment to you. Yeah, yeah and like I, I think that that's kind of shitty that he blocks people out like that. Like even if they're right, even if you know, I think it is. It, it I do see where Charles Barkley is coming from on that because like his he I don't think Jordan we say we can say peers you know people in his age group like like a charles barkley or carl malone you know they do have or isaiah thomas if you will like they kind of he doesn't see people you know in his age group on the same level as him and to to his to a degree i mean you can't help but he can be right in that but i mean at the same time it is kind of a dick move but like you do see in the documentary that like he, he is very close to people who are older than him. You know, all of his security guards were like these older Chicago, you know, police, um, police officers, if you will, like uh, the one police officer, like he, he became like his dad figure after his father passed away. You know, he was there, you know, every single day at the hospital, you know, he paid for all of his medical bills, you know, every time he, you know, he had cancer, if you will. And I thought that's like a side that, you know, yeah, we're talking about like the whole Charles Barkley incident, but like he does keep whoever is in his circle, he does keep them very close and I, one article I was reading was about, you know, his actual best friend, you know, like who is actually, you know, Michael Jordan's best friend. It was his first limo driver, you know, from the time he was a rookie. It wasn't even the uh, limo driver that he hired. The, the actual limo driver that he hired, you know, stood him up. And it was just like some guy, you know, just walking, you know, that had his limo, was getting ready for the next person that he would have to drive around. He's like, hey, you're the guy that we just drafted. And he's like, yeah, man, I my, my, limo, my limo driver, you know, didn't show up and from that day forward that was his limo driver you know until the end of his career but actually became his best friend as well so you do get this dichotomy of like this split personality where he's both the devil and the angel which is which is kind of a lot of traits that you see like in somebody like a kobe bryant if you will yeah i mean it's i think it's difficult to to be a humble person and i think i think the average person like enjoys the humble guy like enjoys that that hard-working humble dude at the same time you're the fucking one of the best players in the world you're probably michael jordan in my opinion is the greatest to ever do it it's it's hard to be humble when you're that guy and it's hard to be you know every mistake becomes magnified now because you want to please everyone and you'll never achieve that and like i i think that he he the the documentary the documentary I don't, I mean I don't know how he felt about it it didn't really change a lot of my opinions on Jordan it didn't make me think like he was the greatest because I always thought he was the greatest mm-hmm. um, I think it really served like in that aspect not to cut you off that to kind of remind people that oh this was the ba- best basketball player of all time because I'm and I'm sure we'll get into it the whole like LeBron James being the goat kind of thing where it's just like this was a very calculated documentary yeah they filmed this documentary you know during you know the whole uh last you know 97 98 season or whatever and it's coming out like 22 years later actually shout out to espn with your fucking commercials in between like those things were fucking hilarious like those 90s commercials they would insert in there um but yeah it was a calculated move because you get this narrative that oh shit like lebron james might be the goat and i don't think lebron james is no. even top five of all time. I mean, yeah, he's one of the best players of all time, but yeah, like it's, it just speaks to like that competitiveness that you saw in Jordan, you know, from the time that, you know, he was 
a rookie, you know, trying to get over on players like, you know, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas to the mid nineties where you have like fucking Charles Barkley, Clyde Drexler. Like he would create these like demons out of people that he has to be competitive with that. Yeah. Like, Oh, they're forgetting about me. I'm going to drop this documentary for the newer generation that, you know, forgot about Dre, if you will, you know, you know, so two things, one, I guess it did bother me that he had to create these like, Oh, you diss me? Like, I, especially one of those in particular really bothered me, and it was the um, uh, uh, Carl, um, Carl Malone. No, no, no. The um, who's Kobe Carl's dad? The guy that used to be on the Lakers. Oh, George Carl. George Carl. Yeah. George Carl dissing him at a restaurant because he just went to his table and sat down. Uh-huh. Like he has to go up to him and be like, "Oh, hello, Mr. Jordan." Like, what the fuck? Like. Yeah, he doesn't have to go say hi to you. He's just eating <laughs> at a restaurant. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah. Like, those types of things are like, chill, dude. You're not God. Like, just yeah. relax. That was one of them. The other thing that I really enjoyed about the documentary, and it really made me change my perspective my perspective of Carl uh, Malone. I thought Carl Malone, not only was he like, I-, I think I think it's I think it's one thing to be great when you're winning. I think that's probably the easiest thing to do is when you're winning you feel great and every single thing you say is going to be a quotable quote and an, and an amazing image of you holding a trophy and be amazing. But I think losing is probably the most difficult thing for someone like mm-hmm. that. When you put hours and hours heartbreaking and to still come out and look, in my opinion, amazing. The fact that he still shakes his hands, walks to the bus to go say hi to the team and congratulate them in their bus. That to me is a fucking man. Like, yeah, that was like the most like man thing in the entire documentary. Like no offense to Jordan. I think he's the greatest, but nothing in the whole documentary. That is the most difficult thing. I can never do that. I can never lose something like that. You would have been go, Isaiah Thomas. No, I would have, I would have shook his hand, but okay. like, fuck, I say Thomas, but I would have yeah, shook yeah. his hand and been like, congrats, whatever, bro. I'll talk to you later. But to go in the bus, go chase their bus down and go congratulate them mm-hmm. like in their bus, that to me is like, dang, you went above and beyond. In your own arena too. In your own arena. You went above and beyond and like that is a fucking man move right mm-hmm. there. Like So shout out to Carl Malone for doing that. I'd never been a huge Carl Malone fan, but that was like one of the dopest things I've ever seen. Like difficult yeah. as fuck. Like that is like going to like a girl you dated for a long time and then going to her wedding and congratulating Ooh. her. Like it's the Ooh. equivalent of that. And actually like, like being yeah. a man about it and like actually doing that. That's tough. Yeah. That is tough. So congratulations to Carl Malone, but I won't give too much congratulations. Cause they actually tried to get him on the documentary and he refused. So, well, Carl Malone, he had a, uh, an E60 report where he's like, I'm not going to fucking talk about that. I don't have to talk about that, mm-hmm. which I thought was like, yeah, that's true. Like he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. He's I, just like an old man living in a shack now. He sounds like a fucking old, like, <laughs> like he drives trucks, dude. Like he's real like quick. an old Louisiana, like good old boy. He's yeah. Like, well, I don't talk about, I don't want to talk about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wasn't the bulls. I played against the bulls, not the Jordans. <laughs> so, um, real quick on, uh, Carl Malone. Uh, my grandparents, for whatever reason, they moved from L.A. and they moved to Salt Lake City when my mom was 16 years old. And they lived there until they divorced and my grandma moved back to Canada, right? So a lot of my childhood uh, revolves around like this whole 96, 97, 98 period where the Bulls, you know, were beating the shit out of the Utah Jazz. Uh, that was the biggest rival for them. And so the highlight for me was like during a summer or, you know, during Christmas, we would actually go to like a Utah Jazz game. And I remember after one game, 
my grandpa actually drove me to where Carl Malone lives. And I always this always stuck out in my mind. But like Carl Malone had like the weirdest fucking house because like everybody else's all the other Utah jazz players, like they live like in these like gated communities and whatever. And Carl Malone was like the main guy. And he did not live in a gated community. He lived in a very nice neighborhood, no doubt. But you could drive up to his house like no problem there was no you know guards or anything like that um and he's famous for being like on the off season he would drive motorcycles and he would drive 16 wheeler 16 wheel trucks right um tell me why this guy is at pretty probably still at the delta center probably you know still answering press questions and whatnot Tell me why this guy had a 16-wheeler parked on his front lawn. <laughs> not not in the driveway, not like in the RV space of his house, but parked across his front lawn. And it's literally like this like airbrush like image of like Carl Malone in the old like 1980s uh, jerseys or whatever with like lightning coming out of the basketball. Parked across his front lawn, like barely like almost kissing like his so his front door so like he could open up his front door pretty much like jump in the passenger seat of his 16 wheeler right or the the driver's side of it and then like he had like three motorcycles like parked on his front lawn as well like not on the cement like not in the driveway but like on the fucking grass like i always thought like that was like the most ghettoest thing but like the funniest thing ever of all time for like somebody who's like at that time the mvp of the league yeah yeah i mean i i i thought i thought he i thought he looked great in the documentary Mm -hmm. it kind of not change my views, but I never really cared much for the guy. But it really like, and then especially after he did that little E60 report where he, like he's like, I'm not gonna be on there. I don't want to talk about Jordan. I didn't uh, play against the Jordans. I played against the Bulls. Yeah, which I thought was like another thing that was like, yeah, it's true. I mean, like he's like, he's like, yeah, he was great, but I'm a bad son of a bitch myself. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I never seen this side of you, man. Yeah. And then also shout out to. uh Jerry Sloan, the yeah. uh, coach, he just recently passed. I so. always had some love for Jerry Sloan, man. Like that was another great coach of his era. That's the one thing too about and Jordan. a great bull. By yeah, the way. he actually played the same position as Michael Jordan. So I mean, that's got to be rough too. Like you finally get to you know the big dance, if you will, and you lose to the guy that used to play your position. Yeah, but that's another thing too, like about Jordan. Like I wanted to talk about too is just like how many players, how many coaches went championship list just because of his presence in the league, like. To me, like Jerry Stone is in basketball is like one of the top five coaches of all time, in my opinion. Like just the way he's able to turn chicken salad from chicken shit. Like like you look at those like Utah jazz teams after, you know, Carl Malone and, you know, John Stockton left. Like they weren't that great. You know, you had Carlos Boozer and like a young Darren Williams like on those teams, but like who else? And then you had Andre Karolinko. But he would turn AK-47. them in forty seven. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like Drogo from like Rocky, yeah. if you will. Like, he turned those teams into, like, I mean, yeah, they didn't, you know, go back to the Western Conference Finals, if you will, but, like, they were still, like, potent teams that, I remember them, they challenged the Lakers, you know, a couple times in the playoffs. They challenged, you know, the championship Spurs, if you will, in the playoffs a couple times. Like, they made things interesting, and that's all due to the system that Jerry Sloan had. Yeah. It's funny, because he really brought out the best in those players. You look at those players individually, eventually Carlos Boozer goes to the Bulls, Uh doesn't look that great, and then... uh, Darren Williams goes to the Nets and looks like shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, was it the system? What was this? Because he was he was a really underrated coach. He's he was one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, he was battling with I think Parkinson's at, at towards yeah. the end of his career, and um, 
Darren Williams is actually the player that made him retire. He retired in the middle of the season and just said, I can't do this anymore and left. So also not a shout out to Darren Williams. <laughs> but anyways, you know, I like, you know, we're at the point now where we're talking about more modern day type, type mm-hmm. of things, you know. And one of the one of the things that comes up if, you know, every ESPN, ESPN yeah. every single thing, it's the debate is the Jordan versus um, LeBron, James. LeBron James argument. The funny thing about it is, like, I don't even understand how it's an argument. It's like if they were closer in championship rings, I would be like, okay, yeah. If they were closer in, like, winning percentages and, like, NBA, the funny thing about it is Jordan went to the finals and went through the East during some of the hardest years of being in the East. Mm-hmm. LeBron did this on the, some of the worst East final, like, East, Eastern Conference. Yeah, the Eastern Conference is still... The second seed would be like the ninth seed in the West. That tells you everything you needed to know about the Eastern Conference back when LeBron James was going... Paul George was like probably the second best player when the Heat were going to the finals all those years in a row. It's like Paul George? Paul George is the second best player on the Clippers. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, come on, man. Like, Yeah, and to me, uh, you, you said it earlier where you said like, okay... LeBron James has all the physical abilities that we've ever seen in any kind of player. Scottie Pippen was talking about this um, on ESPN last week as well, where he said like he has the same skill set that you know you ha- that you know he had. Because when I look at LeBron James, I just see like a better version of Scottie Pippen. He goes, but you know he just like I was never as athletic as him. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, you know, during this whole Corona lockdown, they offered LeBron James a contract to play for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if you saw that or not. I don't know how many other players in the NBA could say they could do that. Like Jordan, he was on the path to playing for the White Sox in professional baseball, which, I mean, yeah, you have to be athletic, but it's not the most physically demanding sport. I mean, you have players that are well into their 40s still playing. But for football, that's a whole other breed of athlete. And for somebody to probably be really good at basketball and football, that's a unique beast right there. But the for me, the separator right here is just like the mental toughness. We've seen, I don't know how many video clips of LeBron James just barely getting a wind on him. Like was Tyson Chandler, if you will, like he he threw a ghost elbow at him, didn't even connect on LeBron. And LeBron's, you know, flying 50 feet back. Like he's got like a bungee cord pulling him, if you will. So it's just like those things I can't respect. And then you go back to the documentary where Jordan is like getting physically assaulted. Like it would be a felony, you know, in present day when he's going up against, you know, the Detroit Pistons, you know, he's running up, I think against Rick Mahorn, if you will, and just like beats him the fuck up and he gets back up and he scores 60 points. LeBron James has to be carried off the court by his teammates, you know, for a little tiny ticky tack foul. And it's just like, I don't know how you can consider him the GOAT when he's not even the reason for a lot of his team's championship success. You know, Dwayne Wade, I think it's a lot of the, should get a lot of the credit for those championships in Miami. You look at the Lakers now, a lot of the reason why the Lakers are so good is because of Anthony Davis, you know? And to me, it boggles my mind how there's even a debate, like you said, that, you know, LeBron James... (laughs) <laughs> is even considered in the GOAT conversation because I don't even consider him top five of all time. Like, maybe yeah, I would consider him the best small forward of all time, but not top five all time. He's not even starting on my team. Yeah, 
so I don't know about small. That that's a different conversation. The small forward thing. Mm-hmm. It kind of made me think of like all the small forwards. I guess Larry Berg is up there, but he. I think he's better than Larry Berg. Yeah. I think Larry Berg is basically like white DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> like, and it's not a shot at Larry Berg, but I just feel like he wasn't as special as, as people think he is. And, you know, I don't think DeMar DeRozan's a great basketball player, but I don't think he's like in my top 50 basketball players of all time. Um, but I, I don't know. Anyways, that's a different conversation. But I, I do think that when he was on the heat, that was him at his prime. And I think that, that he was the better, the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. During those years, I don't think he is anymore. And I think you look at last year's Lakers team where it was it was falling apart with him as the main guy that you needed Anthony Davis to go in there. And like Anthony Davis is the best player on the Lakers right now. Oh yeah. And like Jordan, that was never applied to Jordan, like even at the end of his career. He carried Scottie Pippen in that last series. I believe it was something crazy, like the last six minutes, no other bull touched the basketball. You know, this is a guy that's getting you know, retiring for the last time quote unquote and he's you know he's he's busting his ass on the defensive end you know he steals the ball from Carl Malone and he makes the last six points for the Bulls to win the game so like that's never been Jordan where he was never not the best player on the team even when he went to the Wizards like I was watching a lot of highlights of him there like you had a young Rip Hamilton a young Jerry Stackhouse you know Brendan Haywood and Kwame Brown are on those teams as well but mm-hmm. I mean he's still you know at 40 years old he's still the best option on your team you know with the ball in his hand And to me, like, you can't say that about LeBron. Like, yeah, physically he has the capability of that, but he's never been able to take over the game. And I think we've had the luxury. I know I have. Like I said at the beginning of the show, like, in 1988, I saw Magic Johnson in his prime. In 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, I saw saw Michael Jordan in his prime. I got 20 years of Kobe Bryant. I got the whole career of LeBron James right now, which is going on, like, what, 15, 16 years? And when I look at all of those players who are considered, you know, the top players of all time, you know, general consensus, the one, only one that comes close, in my opinion, is a Kobe Bryant, you know, because, yeah, he did mirror a lot from Jordan, but he's the only one that's ever even kissed the surface of being close to what Jordan brought to the table. Yeah, I mean, so as as far as Jordan versus LeBron, um, it's... I think if if we're talking about like one on one players, like it, it'd be difficult. They're not playing the same position. Mm-hmm. One is bigger than the other. LeBron is strong enough to probably play power forward if he wanted to. Um, and I think one of the weaknesses that if Jordan has any weakness is he wasn't a particularly great three point shooter. Mm-hmm. But the league wasn't really shooting three pointers as at the rate that we're shooting at now. I think if if he was in today's NBA and like let's just say statistically we put that in there, he would be on the lower end of three point shooters. Um, and LeBron isn't that great at three point shooter. He's all right, Correct. but but he's not amazing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult just because I don't think LeBron has that dog in him. Like mm-hmm. I don't think he's willing. He wants the the ball in his hands. You know, to pass it to another player. Yeah, and I th- I think if and this isn't a shot at LeBron at all. I think. I have respect LeBron, LeBron in a lot of sense. I think he's, I think he's a great player, but I think he's actually closer to like a Magic Johnson in the sense that he's mm-hmm. a big guy. He has, he's point guard skills. Mm-hmm. He's almost the same height as as Magic Johnson. They're they're very similar in the sense that they're big guys who have point guard skills. That's not a knock on him. It's not like Magic Johnson some scrub. No, <laughs> like, but it's just like 
Michael Jordan was a different animal. Mm-hmm. And like to think of like the dudes that are the it's, dudes that, that, that I think of when I think of Michael Jordan, it's like these are all time greats. Like we're talking about like like Bill Russell and like like if you want to bring up Bill Russell or something like that, like way back in the day where like his eleven championship rings, that's the class that he's in. Like LeBron is not in that class. LeBron is Le- LeBron, and that's it's if it feels like I'm talking shit, but at the same time, it's not a knock at all. Like it's not it's a knock. Facts. If somebody put me in Magic Johnson's class, I'd be okay, cool. That's that's an amazing compliment. Yeah. But the fact that he wants to put himself in that, and I, and I will say he put himself in that category because a lot of this is feels like marketing with this whole like the chosen one thing that mm-hmm. came out when he was young in Cleveland. The fact that he has chosen tattooed on his back. The fact that he that was this whole Nike campaign was like witness was He's, like a big thing in he Cleveland. He came in with the number twenty three when he wore number six before that. Yeah, a yeah. lot of it. Yeah, a lot he, of it has to do with that. He wanted to be that guy, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's never really lived up to it. He's been great, and and I feel like to say one, you you have to you have to say like, yo, Michael Jordan's the best. You're really really great. You're up there. But you're not better than Magic Johnson. You should probably be striving to be closer to Mag- Magic Johnson before you try to get close to Michael Jordan. Or I would even just say be the best you can be because to me, like I said, like when I really look at it, I see a lot of Scottie Pippen and LeBron James. Like he's, I think he's eclipsed Scottie Pippen, but it's just like, okay, like Scottie Pippen's his own beast. You know, that whole point forward thing. Like you didn't see a lot of that. And then you see a lot of it now. Like he's the precursor to all of what you see today in the league. But it's just like, be the best you can be. Jordan, the closest you had to Jordan pre-Jordan was Dr. J. You look at, you compare those two now, it's just like, oh, Jordan blows Dr. J all the way out of the water when you compare those two players. But again, they're two separate players, Dr. J obviously being a small forward. But it's just like, hey, like I'm going to create my own path. Shaquille O'Neal as well. Like when you get into all-time great centers or whatever, you have you know, Wilt Chamberlain before him. And it's just like, he was, Wilt Chamberlain was the most dominant center of all time. Well, then you put Shaq in Wilt Chamberlain's era and, you know, Shaq dominates just as much, if not more than Wilt Chamberlain. But it's just like Shaq carved his own path where it's like, yeah, I'm an entertainer and I'm a dominant player. I'm not just this one dimensional being. Um, And the same thing with LeBron. That's the one thing that disappoints me with him. It's just like, he's not, you don't need to be the next Jordan. That's not your game be LeBron James, be that, be, it's like Stephen Curry. Like I, I, can't, I don't, can't even think of a, a, a historical comparison with Stephen Curry. It's like, he's his own beast, be your own beast. And I mean, now that sounds like cheesy and virtue signaling here, but it's just like, yeah, just LeBron James, I think would have a better argument for greatest of all time. If he didn't beckon to be this forced goat, if you will. I agree. I mean, there's a quote of him saying like, when he went in Cleveland, that made him the greatest one ever or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, but go out and do it like four more times now because you're kind of behind on this whole like yeah. ring thing. And like th- th- to me, one of the things that really knocks on him is I think every player needs great great players can't do it all by themselves, right? We saw Kobe. You can't do it without Pau Gasol. You can't do it with the great shooters that he had around him. And same thing with LeBron, but at the same time, it's like, well, then stay there and build it. Like, mm-hmm. don't go around chasing championships. Like, that to me also lowers him in, in my ranking because it's like he had to go to 
the Heat to do it. Mm-hmm. He had to come back. Now that the, now that the Cleveland Cavaliers have Kyrie, and then they were going to get Kevin Love. Now you're going to go back, and it's like, okay, well, you didn't win now. So now you're going to go to the Lakers because the Lakers can throw all these guys in, with you. And it's like, it just seems like he goes wherever wherever it's easiest. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, it, it doesn't feel as interesting. I would actually say that, you know, a couple of months ago, we talked about how the NBA, it's been a weird NBA year, but the NBA, this has been its like lowest like views in like so long now. And I think a lot of it is because of LeBron James, because a lot of people have LeBron James fatigue because they're tired of LeBron James. And they're also tired of the fact that there is no like, like Jordan. No, no Jordan. I would say that they're tired that there is no like rivals in the NBA anymore. Mm -hmm. Everybody's so buddy buddy right now that the fact that nobody's true. nobody's a rival right now. Everybody's it, best friends. One of my favorite eras was when 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 the Spurs and the Lakers were at their height. It felt like this. Oh, they're they're going at it. Even when when even when um, Dallas was in there and Dirk was like at the height, like it was like, oh man, we're gonna play Dallas now. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it felt real. And even though a lot of these teams are good, like Dallas is starting to get good again. All these team te- teams are getting good. It feels like they're so buddy buddies, and a lot of it is because a lot of these teams are following this LeBron James style mentality, where it's like I might be on the Lakers next year, like, yeah. like, or I might go to I Clippers. might go I might go to the Clippers, or I might go play in Washington or whatever. Like, we might all buddy buddy up in in Miami next year, and we'll all vacation in Greece and shit. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a lot of it is because of that, and it kind of lowers the product because if you look at like Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant went from like oh shit the Thunder. And the and and the Warriors. Now this is gonna be fun for the next few years. Next oh. year, he's on the fucking Warriors, and it's like, what the hell was that? Like this went from being like something to look forward for, forward to for the next few years to like, oh, now it sucks because you just created the ultimate super group. Mm-hmm. It's not fun anymore. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of it is that right now. It's like, oh man, like Anthony Davis is on the Lakers. Like, like this play. Like I don't know. It just it feels so Cheap. like. Why even buy an NBA jersey anyways now? Like, I, I wouldn't want to... Like, there's no player in the NBA that I'm like, I... You want to invest in. Yeah, like, I, I can trust that they're going to be there in the next few years, like, at all. And I think a lot of it is, you know, being a Spurs fan, once Kawhi left, I was like, whoa, that's fucking shocking as hell, man. Mm-hmm. Like, if Kawhi can leave the Spurs, anybody can leave any team. Yep. Like, it's... Don't even buy a jersey at this point. Mm-hmm. Just like wait till they retire and see mm-hmm. how many years they played with you. Maybe buy the jersey shirt, if you will. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it speaks and it really speaks to that like whole warrior um tribalism thing that I was talking about earlier, where it's just like it's it's simulated combat. You know, these people are going to war. Can you imagine like the civil war where like they were just buddy buddy, like, ah, oh, we'll just let you guys win, you know? Or if it was a friendly competition of uh foosball, like no yeah. nobody gives a shit about that, you know? Like you want you want to see people go to war. That's that's the whole testosterone driven thing that we love, you know, because yeah, we, we probably shouldn't be going to actual physical war war, you know, like with North Korea or whatever, but it's it's just something primal in it, us. It's just like imagine, you wanna see that. Imagine if this was like world like whenever like the world FIFA or FIFA or whatever mm-hmm. does her thing. And like you can trade players like that, like it would be stupid as hell. Another thing that LeBron made really popular was the whole like covering his mouth during basketball games, where he like talks to a player and like covers his mouth, and like or he'll be sitting next to somebody and like covering his face with his jersey. That's a really popular thing that he did, and a lot of NBA players do it now after games or like mm-hmm. or whatever when they're talking to each other. And it just creates this whole like, oh yeah, they're talking about how they're gonna like join forces next year or something. Like mm-hmm. 
it creates so much bullshit. Like, that's the part of the NBA I'm sick of. I'm sick of a lot of things that LeBron James made popular. That's one of them. The one-year deal for superstars is, like, fucking annoying. Yeah. Because you want brand loyalty. Like, I want to... I want to buy a jersey that I'm like, I know this guy's going to be on my team for the next few years. Oh, yeah, Even like, like, this should be a sure shot that Anthony Davis should be a Laker for life. But really, it's not a sure shot. Like, really, it's like, you can't guarantee that he might be, he might not be there next year. Like, he's a Chicago guy. I know, I listen to a lot of Chicago radio. They're all like, oh, he's coming next year. We're going to try to like, do all these things for him. And it's like, nah, he might sign with the Lakers next year. But then, at the end of that, he still will have another contract by the time he hits like his 30s or whatever, and he'll still be a good player in his 30s. Mm-hmm. Granted, he doesn't get hurt. Are you going to be able to keep him then? It's like a lot of those things where it's like, or maybe he wants another one-year deal next year or something. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, man, it's, it fucking sucks. The way the NBA is set up right now, it's it's difficult to watch. It's difficult to cheer for a team. You kind of just have to pick players that you kind of like. Like, this guy's not that racist. I guess I like him. <laughs> like, and then, like, that's that's kind of where you are with the NBA. Like, I think Luka in, 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 Dallas. in Dallas is probably, like, my favorite player right now. I think he's I think he's great. I think he's probably, <laughs> like, a white uh, white kind of Kobe. Like, he reminds me of Kobe mm-hmm. a lot. And so um, I think he's really fun to watch. And it kind of sucks because he's, like, a division rival of the Spurs. And it's like, that's my favorite player. He's on the fucking Mavs. I cannot imagine <laughs> being a fan of, like, somebody from the Seattle Supersonics or the fucking Utah Jazz or – you know, even the Clippers, you know, but I do. I like Kawhi Leonard. I like, you know, there's a lot of players that I like on teams. That I, I still be love Kawhi. Kawhi is, I, this, uh, it's, this is a different discussion. But when I see Kawhi play, the guy that he reminds me of is Michael Jordan. And yeah. like, that's, that's no disrespect to anybody or anything. That's just like a personal thing. When I see him play, that's fucking Jordan. One of the things that he's, that dude's like a psychopath. Like, he would do this thing where he would, you know, do his regular Spurs routine thing with everyone else where they do their film study thing. Mm-hmm. And then he would request 30 minutes prior to every game to just sit alone and watch Jordan highlights. So he would have different Jordan highlights set up for him to watch before every like playoff game, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird at the time, but like you see where his body is now, you see where he is now. You saw what he did with the Spurs, you saw what he did with the with the Toronto Raptors and like the dudes on that level, people don't really talk about him because he's the least charismatic guy in the NBA. That's true. Yeah. And he doesn't talk and he'll never give you a sound bite besides it's weird laugh. Like he just, he's not that guy. He's the NBA would hate to have this guy be their best player. And no one talks about him that, but he's just one ring away from joining the LeBron James three club at this point. Yeah. And he's younger than him by like six years. Yeah. So like more than likely he's going to win another one. And more than likely, he might win another two, so he might surpass LeBron. So it's yeah. like, I don't know. Another thing, too, you're talking about, like, okay, it's influence. Okay, Jordan's influence, not only just, like, on basketball, but sports in general. Like, how many football players, you know, wear his sneakers or, you know, wear his number? Like, it it, it goes beyond basketball. It's a cultural impact. You know, you brought up, you know, the baggy shorts. You know, that was a whole fashion statement. Like, it just the whole mentality of just like going to work like even when you're sick you probably shouldn't do it like during this whole like quarantine or whatever but that whole flu game you know like anytime like any manager like charles our, our favorite manager of all time at target like he would he would cite that as well like well if jordan can play with the flu like you can you know you can zone makeup in an hour or whatever like that like that inspiration right there like that's the that's the legacy of jordan you know he fucking gets the flu it turns out it was just you know food poisoning but that's still like a rough fucking you know do you think it was food poisoning 
I'm starting to think it wasn't. I think he just drank too much. That's what Jalen Rose was saying that like, hey, he drank too much because when you look at his eyes in this documentary, they're yellow as fuck, and that comes from having bad kidneys and a bad liver from smoking and drinking. But so here, here's my theory on that because I do think he ordered a pizza, and one of the things that you do when you drink a lot is eat bread to like soak it up, soak it all up. Mm-hmm. I think somebody was like, hey, get this dude a fucking pizza because he just had too many shots of Jaeger or something, <laughs> which is possible or cognac or Look, whatever, and he, he's. He's been known to want to gamble late into the night, like he would did that Atlantic mm-hmm. City trip. I wouldn't be surprised if he had all his security guards up there, all his boys, and are just gambling, playing cards, drinking too much. Next thing you know, is like Jordan's kind of fucking drunk. He's got a game six tomorrow, or whatever game five. Get him some dominoes. Yeah, it's like get him hot and ready from Little Caesars. And apparently, in the documentary, he says like five delivery guys came out, and like later on, it came out that they they had actually spoken to the guy that delivered the pizza, and it was like. The guy that made the pizza is actually the same guy that delivered it, and mm-hmm. he had another one, another guy with him because in Utah, like past like 10 p.m., two guys need to go or something like that. Well, no, in Utah, <laughs> since it's like super Mormon, right? Like there's a certain time of day. It's almost like quarantine times, like where everything like fucking shuts down early. But, it's, you know, it's very Mormon out there. Um, it's very hard pressed back in the nineties. I don't know how it is now after I guess after like the, the Winter Olympics passed through there, a lot of things changed uh, with Salt Lake City. But you know, pre-Olympics, which I believe was like 98, if you will, or 2002. Mm-hmm. I forgot I forgot when Salt Lake had the Olympics, yeah. but they were they were getting ready for the Olympics for a very long time. But anyways, um, this was pre-Winter Olympics, Salt Lake City. I remember going, when I would, every time I would visit my grandparents, things would just shut down. You couldn't just go to Taco Bell at like 8 p.m. Like that shit would be shut down at 6 p.m. because, hey, it's family time at 6. Like, hey, you shouldn't be out and about right now. It's very, very, you know, family oriented driven out there. So the only thing that was open was, you know, this little rinky dink pizza shop that, you know, so apparently, okay, was so, in Park City. So, so I heard that. I, apparently, the pizza place was Pizza Hut. Oh, really? It was the only thing that was open was a Pizza Hut. Because it's not a local thing. It was like their Corporate. hours were we close at like a certain time. And they were the only ones. And apparently the only way that they delivered was if two guys delivered it together or something like that. I okay. don't know what the deal was. On the main streets of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're more <laughs> cautious with the way they deliver pizza. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the documentary makes it sound like five guys showed up to Jordan's room and the guy was like, oh, I got a bad feeling about this. Why are five guys delivering? Mm. To me, it was like. Nah, man. I think he just drank too much, and then they want to soak up some of that beer with pizza. Possibly, you know, and I could see that happening too because, I, I mean, so let's say it was you know some bad ingredients or whatever. Like, yeah, a lot of people aren't ordering pizza, you know, pre Olympic Salt Lake City. So those ingredients might have been sitting out too long. Gave Jordan, you know, food poisoning. He has the flu. That's game. Another, yeah, it's a good point. It's also possible too that he was drinking and smoking too much and gambling into the wee hours of the night, and his body was starting to break down. We're talking about the end of the season. It's June. Uh, Salt Lake City's really hot, you know, so your body's breaking down. Your immune system is very bad. You might have caught a bug. You know, they're flying on planes and whatnot. So it, that's possible as well. But my whole point is, is either way, Jordan was sick as fuck. You know, I was reading an ESPN article where the actual ball boy who got his shoes after the flu game, uh, he was talking about like Jordan, like looked like he was like on his deathbed. You know, he was, you know, had an IV hooked onto him. Like he was in his own separate room in darkness. Like he had a pounding headache for like 12 hours, you know, before the game. And he just did not look like he was gonna play at all like if he was gonna play it was gonna be for like two or three minutes and then you know bounce out like scotty pippen but you ends up having like this historical game where he scores 38 points and he wills the chicago bulls to win in the delta center in salt lake city against a very good so very good utah jazz team right 
that's Jordan's influence on culture, right? You, you you get you get little young Jacob Pixton, you know, busting his ass to zone toys at Target, you know, for Charles because he cites the flu game. But with LeBron James, you get this softness where it's just like, oh, like my big toe has a hangnail on it. You know, I'm going to take well, a day off. Do you off. remember when he played the Spurs and he started getting cramps? Yeah. That that was that could have been his flu game, you know? Like, yeah. He, like, got carried out in, like, a wheelchair. Like, mm-hmm. Well, actually, like, three players, like, carried him out or something. Like, it was yeah. something weird like that. And it creates, like, this softness. And, again... I want to be as fair as possible. Like I'm not, you know, LeBron James, I'm not having to go through that physical and, you know, mental stress of, you know, being, you know, the most scrutinized NBA player in present times. But at the same time, it's just like, you got to look at your influence, your, your footprint. And that's Jordan's footprint on the league. It's just like, yeah, I fucking had the flu and I still fucking beat the best team in the league by myself, pretty much, you know, severely handicapped. And then here's this other player who has all the physical gifts that God could give any basketball player. And three other players have to wield me off the team because I got a some some ticky tack like elbow to, you know, my fucking man boob, if you will. I, I don't know. Like every and at being a Laker fan and seeing LeBron James play, it's just like, ooh, you don't have the same fire that even fucking Sasha Vujacic had. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like it's hard when it comes to these goat debates to compare those two players. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Plus, like, his final statistics are really bad. Mm-hmm. He has, like, two of the top three, like, worst losses in NBA history, like, by, like, points allowed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I know for a fact when he played the Spurs in 2014, their, like, point differential, like, the, the Spurs beat him when, you know, when they add up the points of points scored for both of all the teams. It was like a ridiculous, like a hundred point lead for the Spurs. Wow! It, it was ridiculous, and it was like I think that's like the number three, like all time, like beatdown in NBA Finals. And I think also when they did it back when he was in Cleveland, which Cleveland it was a sweep, but he yeah. was a very young LeBron, so I'm not gonna hold that one against him. Yeah. But um, but he does have two of the three of like the worst losses in NBA Finals of like showing up to the finals and just like sucking. And, and you like, can't say that about Jordan either, because even when those like classics Boston Celtics teams would beat Jordan, like what that he still holds the record, what was like sixty six points or whatever. Yeah. And this is coming off of a potentially career ending broken foot injury. He scores that on one of the best teams of all time. Like you can't say that about Jordan. And then like another thing too is you get into it the comparisons. One year Jordan won Defensive Player of the Year. And won the scoring title at the same time. So he's great on both ends of the floor. And you look at the um, the statistics of all first NBA defensive team selections. Jordan has nine. LeBron James has like six altogether, but that's like cumulative like with third team, second team, if you will. And that's nine consecutive all first NBA teams. You know, the only other players to have more than Jordan was Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant, who have nine first team selections and then three second team all selections. So it's just like, and those are like all time great defensive players right there. And those are two guys that came straight out of high school. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean that you got that on top of there. So it's just like, to me, like that's the separator right there. Like I have you when you start getting into the brass tacks, you could talk about, you know, the, the mental toughness, but when it comes to like the black and white statistics of it all, it's like Jordan still kills it, man. Yeah. And also one of the things that you have to also account for is, you know, we just talked about the fact that, LeBron didn't go to high school. Oh, didn't go to college. He went straight. So all the points, once you do like um, points scored or whatever, all that stuff, like 
to me that's like the most bullshit like bogus mm-hmm. stat because it's like you could you could fucking uh who's that uh running back i was gonna say al gore <laughs> Frank Gore. Frank Gore. Like, you can Frank Gore this shit. There's, like, running backs. That Sorry, have like, Tyler. That's what you get for not coming. There's, like, some Frank Gore statistics. Um, same thing with Emmitt Smith. Like, no disrespect to Emmitt Smith, but Emmitt Smith had a good career. But then, like, his stats are, like, really inflated just because he played until he was, like, fucking 200 years old. Mm. And it's just, like, he had some good offensive lines, but at the same time, like, I don't think of him as, like, the greatest running back of all time. I don't think of Frank Gore in, like, the top three running backs of all time. Just because their stats are there, it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, LeBron James is going to end with better stats than Michael Jordan, more points scored, more rebounds, but he just played longer. Le- Michael Jordan retired going into his prime for two years mm-hmm. and then comes back and then retires again and then comes back eventually again. But it's just like, he did, he had so much dominance in such a short time. Mm-hmm. Like, th- just because you played a long time, just coming to work every day doesn't make you employee of the month. Yeah, no, yeah, that is true. <laughs> And then one thing too, like speaking to that 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 statistic, if you will, when Jordan came into the league, it was 1985, right? He inherited a very poor Chicago Bulls team, and at that time, it was the Lakers and the Celtics. You Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, right? And I was reading an article. Uh, it was called "The Greatest of All Time." Um, I think it was like um, the score, if you will. And they were talking about like before Jordan, who did the league consider the greatest NBA player of all time? And there was no consensus because, you know, they just looked at it at eras. Like you had, you know, the George Mikan era where it was just like a bunch of white dudes with glasses and, you know, old Chuck Taylor's playing. You know, George Mikan, he was the goat of his era. And then it moves on to the next evolution of the game where you had, you know, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. And then at the debate just becomes like, oh, where are your morals out? Those black and white statistics then you roll with Walt Chamberlain. But if you're going by, you know, winning, you know, obviously Bill Russell, 11 championships in 13 seasons. But then, you know, the game evolves, you know, and then, you know, you get your Dr. J's, if you will, and whatnot. And then the league grows again and evolves again. And then you have the Magic Johnson and Larry Birds. And that's where the league was, you know, pre-Jordan. After Jordan's fourth season, they said, that's when you started to see like that GOAT conversation, you know, take place. The only knock on Jordan was, but he can't get past, you know, the Celtics or the Pistons. But once he got past the Pistons and got past the Celtics, literally, and then beats the you know the Lakers, you know Magic Johnson's Showtime Lakers at that time. That's 1991. You're looking at 85, six years into his career, he's already leapfrog. He's leapfrog George Mikan. He's leapfrog Bill Russell. He's leapfrog Wilt Chamberlain. He's leapfrog Dr. J. He's leapfrog Magic Johnson and Larry Bird to be considered the greatest player of all time at a league that's been around since, like, what, 1945? In 1991, six years into his career, considered the greatest player of all time. LeBron James is, what, like 15 years into his his career? And there's still a debate. There was no debate after, you know, Jordan beat the Lakers in 91. It was like he was the greatest of all time after one championship. I do think that the debate with LeBron, though, and it's, yes, like I said earlier, he puts a lot of it on himself. Like, he wants to believe that he is that guy, mm-hmm. even though I don't think he is that guy. The other thing that's really against him is the fact that we have, like, 24-hour news channels now all the time. We had ESPN. We had a baby version of ESPN back then where they would just play reruns of old, like, fucking tennis games <laughs> after, like... The paintball championship. Yeah. yeah, it was, like, it was not ESPN the way it is now. Mm-hmm. It, it it was ESPN, but, you know, it was different. Um now it's like we have like Skip and whoever the guy is, like whoever they have like old man and black man arguing. <laughs> is that's their formula? It seems yeah. to be that 
that is the formula whatever it is like shannon sharp argues with old guy yeah and it's just like it's hot take after hot take yeah and it's like that's where we're at and how do you fill that time well who's the greatest especially right now in the age of corona where there is no sports it's like of course you're gonna bring that up you're gonna bring that up every five seconds like Mm -hmm. that's how you fill the airwaves and it pisses people off you know what i'm saying just i mean we fall for it you know like we're just like well i'm just gonna say lebron james is the greatest of all time and then people run or networks run with this narrative to get people talking, to get people, oh, I gotta turn in, I gotta tune into Shannon and um, fucking, fucking Skip to see like what foolishness they're gonna say because controversy sells. If you just give the news, like the basic news, like oh, so and so scored thirty five points, that doesn't really give you ratings. But if there's controversy, controversy sells. Of course, but I think that you can do sports with a little bit of a little class. bit of class. Yeah, have a little bit of class, man. And that's what I miss about like, and that was I gave a shout out to ESPN for you know putting those old like '90s commercials in. Those were so great. Like we were talking about the Last Dance. You won't see it for 22 years, but it's just like it infused like comedy. Yeah. But like you're actually getting like you know the bass the brass tacks of like what happened. If you it will. reminded me of those old Monday Night Football commercials mm-hmm. when they used to be funny. Yeah, bring those back, ESPN. What the fuck? Yeah, like this all these like controversial hot takes. Like I hate the era that we're in. Like even in you know, just regular media, if you will. I'm not one of those people that like likes to blame the media for everything, but like the fake news. But it's just like it just seems that's how we are as a society, where it's just we're not just gonna give you facts and then you know finesse it with a little bit of humor. We're gonna give you our perspective on the facts and give you a little bit of controversy with it to create people to to make people talk because that's how we're divided we are. But to to wrap that all into one, no matter what team you are rooting for, whether you were a Phoenix Suns fan and your guy was Charles Barkley, whether you're a Utah Jazz fan and you know your favorite player was Malone, if you will. I thought, I thought you were going to do all of Charles Barkley's team. <laughs> whether you're a 76er fan and your guy was Charles Barkley. A Houston Rockets <laughs> fan, Charles Barkley. <laughs> no, but like no matter who you are, you both hated and loved Jordan at the same time. You know, I kicked off the show talking about like I thought my, I hated Michael Jordan partially because i thought he gave magic johnson a's magic johnson was my dude right and then i hated him a little bit more because he beat you know Shaq and the orlando magic that was kind of like my, my my second favorite team after the lakers took their fall or whatever and I, I hated him but i respected the shit out of him because he was just that damn good and i think that's that's the that's the intangible when it comes to jordan the only and again going back to it like the only other players i really have seen that did not play for the lakers that got that same love well did play with the lakers as well was kobe like wherever he went during his last couple of years he would get that mvb champ your boy tim duncan he would get that same love as well and then maybe kevin garnett maybe he's kind of maybe on the outside but other than that i like kevin i like kevin you say kevin durant kevin garnett 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 oh i like kevin garnett a lot um i i i think about kevin garnett in, in in the sense of like Maybe he just played for bad teams, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he could have been greater than he is. But yeah, he he was a he was a really good guy, good good era of basketball. And Reggie Miller, I had, I'll add Reggie Miller in there as well. He wasn't you know a high flashy player or whatever, but like that was a winner right there. And you hated when you had to play him. I remember hating him like when the Lakers had to play him in the finals. But I respected the shit out of his game. I hope my only hope for the NBA right now and. 
Well, I also hope that it doesn't come back because I feel like it's going to be tainted this year. <laughs> They're going to play at fucking Walt Disney World. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope they don't do that stuff. Just get ready for next year is where I stand on this year. But especially since it's just been a weird, bad year and you know so many weird things have happened this year already. Uh, just put a rip, just put a bow on it. We'll just no winner this year. But I do think that I hope they start figuring something out with contracts so that teams can keep players and you don't have this like weird like shell game of like which player is going to go where or like mm. which super team is going to get built and like should I even buy this jersey or you know it, it seems so strange now it's hard to get behind any team right now I think of like the Spurs right now I'm like the only player I can think of that I would maybe buy is like Lonnie Walker because he's like he's like the only player I see potential because he kind of reminds me of like Dwayne Wade and like other than that it's like everything else is just like I don't trust this team right now it it doesn't feel like the NBA even like some of the younger players I'm afraid that they will want like are you guys going to want to move to like New York or something? Are you guys going to go to the Nets? Are you guys going to go to the Clippers? Like, like why did like I don't, I don't understand Again, what teams want anymore. Like they just and it speaks to like the I mean to the whole business aspect of it too. You just said it right there. You don't want to buy anybody's jersey. You own a Michael Jordan jersey and you're a Spurs fan. I own pretty much every single pair of Air Jordans up until like you know Air Jordan 14 or whatever, right? I'm a Laker fan. I'm wearing a fucking. Air Jordan fucking shirt right now. My fucking newborn baby's wearing fucking Air Jordan fucking, you know, onesie, if you will. I'm wearing Jordan socks and shit. I've owned a pair of Hanes just because that's what Jordan was wearing and shit. Like, he, was not, he wasn't even the dude on our team, and we're buying shit just because it's like, oh, man, it's going to be a great to see, it's gonna be great to see my team go up against him, or I'm going to have joy seeing him beat the Utah Jazz, the team that knocked out the Lakers in the playoffs or whatever. So that respect is there, that, that – um, that trust that oh jordan is not going to let me down which we don't have right now and i think that's another big thing that goes into the favor of jordan being the goat it's just that trust that he's going to deliver every single game agreed yeah so i don't know man that's it it's been a long episode yeah it was a fun episode it's been a fun episode correct yeah um that's all i got yeah so i hope you guys enjoy this format um i enjoy the more open discussion format a little bit more i guess you could say the joe rogan-ish format if you will but with you know a more narrow uh view of what we're going to be talking about more just a decisive view because joe rogan sometimes they're they're all over the place i'm not a joe rogan fan man but um (laughs) i am but with that said i hope you guys enjoy this you know people that don't like sports you know hey we're, we're gonna hit you up with other topics as well um, but you know, hey, I hope you enjoy this format because this is how I kind of want to start doing episodes from now on. I hate to do the whole last podcast on the left, uh, Selfa King thing. So, um, but with that said, if you enjoy us, please make sure you're going to the Patreon. Like I said earlier, I don't know if, it, if you cut it on the the first Facebook live feed or the new one or or at the beginning of this episode, but make sure you're going to the Patreon because my equipment is breaking the fuck down. So shout out to the people who are our Patreons, like Nicole, Nicole Smith, like Alex, like Artie, my boy Artie over there, man. Shout out to him. Um, that guy must be a millionaire. I feel like he's sponsoring every podcast on Podbelly. 
I think he owns that pizzeria because he is from Utah. I think he owns he that. He owns pizzeria. that. He's the one that poisoned Michael. Yeah, he's the one that poisoned Michael John, uh, Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jackson. <laughs> he did that too. He was the doctor that poisoned Michael Jackson and killed him. Uh, but anyways, um, you know, please, you know, support our show that way. You can also go to Caveman Coffee, support us there. And then if all, if you, all you want to do is just follow us on social media, we're at Art and Jacob on all platforms: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We do not have a TikTok because we are thirty as fuck and we don't do that. I don't I don't dance. Gangsters don't dance. We boogie. So uh, with that said, everybody, I don't have anything else. Art, do you have anything? Tell your mommy, boo boo too. Shout out to Jack and shout out to Warren. That's it. and with that said, everybody, good night. Good night.